Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. So who here, by a raise of hands, has ever had a rough or tough day? There are a lot less liars in the first service. <laughs> we all have them, right? Some are worse than others, like the one the hard hat employee reported on his accident form. <clears throat> he wrote, when I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks up at the top. So I rigged up a, bully, a pulley uh, on a beam at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. When I fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was, and before I knew what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on since it, I was too far off the ground by this time to jump, and halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground, it hit hard, bursting its bottom, allowing all the bricks to spill out. Well, now I was heavier than the barrel. So I started down again at high speed. Where halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts and bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of the grip on the line. And what happened? The barrel came back down fast, giving me yet another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave. Tough days. While this story makes light of what, if true, would have been a very tough and difficult day, I think we can honestly all agree that each one of us, at one time or another, has had tough and difficult days. And these difficult days aren't just limited to physically tough or demanding, but they also include the emotionally hard, the, the mentally draining, and yes, even those spiritually challenging times of pain and difficulty. If you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and turn to our text, 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we continue our series, Pass the Baton, the Apostle Paul is continuing his letter to his protege, Tim, uh, Timothy. He's writing from a jail cell, probably knowing that his time remaining here on earth is limited. In our passage this morning, Paul shows Timothy, he shows us that we can thrive 
though the world takes a dive. We can thrive though the world takes a dive. Paul says in verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So Paul comes out of the gate fast and furious with, not, with a lot of not-so-pleasant information for Timothy. He said, but understand this. Timothy, make sure you're paying attention to this. This is important. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. He's saying, Timothy, we don't know the day or the time when Christ will return, but this I do know. This I can promise you. Until he returns, things are going to get so tough. Things are going to get very hard for those who follow Christ. You know, maybe in a more modern day language, Paul would have said, buckle up, Timothy. Until Jesus comes and fixes this mess that we're in, people are going to get really selfish, more selfish, uh, more evil than we've ever seen. Timothy, it's even going to be hard for some people to tell the difference between what is true and what is a lie. Times are going to get bad. You see, Paul doesn't want Timothy to be surprised as he continues his ministry. He doesn't want you or I as the future readers of 2 Timothy about how people will act or what they will become as we get closer and closer to Christ's return. So through our text this morning, Paul encourages us with three disciplines of thought that we need to thrive. The first one is this, don't be surprised when the world goes crazy. Timothy, understand this. Don't be surprised when, being, when things become difficult or hard. Don't be surprised when people focus more on themselves than on the things of God. Don't be surprised, Timothy. Here's what you can expect. Here's what is to be the future of the church. Yes, tough times will come. You, Timothy, will experience grievous and difficult and trying times. You can count on it, Timothy. In your ministry, you will see this increase of ungodliness. Now, this brings me back to Matthew 24, when the disciples had asked Jesus for the sign of his second coming. They were anticipating it. They were looking forward to it. Jesus said to them in verses 11 and 12, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So Jesus himself said that the closer we get to his second coming, the worse things are going to be, that there'll be false teachers who will lead people far away from God, that people's love will grow cold, that they will love themselves more than they love others. People love themselves more than they love God. And it's these lawless people, including these false teachers whom Paul warns Timothy about. You know, in fact, Paul tells Timothy to go to the extreme. He tells him, tells him to avoid these types of people. Stay away. Stay clear of them. So just as Paul in our text last week, last Sunday, admonished Timothy to avoid irreverent babble, youthful passions, and foolish and ignorant controversies, Paul continues his exhortation of Timothy. 
telling him to avoid this list of sinful people. Now, I really like how one translation puts these few verses. It says, as the end approaches, people are going to be so self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous, or disrespectful of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're wild animals. Stay clear of these people. Timothy, avoid these people. Avoid them like the plague. You know, in these first four verses, Paul shows us 19 vices or sin that will characterize people in the last days. These sins have existed since the fall, but Paul is saying that they have become, they will continue to become even more and more evident in the world as we get closer to Christ's return. He warns us that people will be lovers of self. People will put their needs, their own wants and desires above anyone else. They'll forget or maybe even ignore what Jesus commanded in Matthew 22, where he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He warns people will be lovers of money. Paul reminds Timothy of something he said in his first letter in 1 Timothy 6.10, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that is because of this intense craving or longing and desire for money that has caused many to wander away from their faith. Jesus said also in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. People will invest in things that make them happy, things that give them pleasure, but they will not invest in anything that honors God. Money will be their God. People will be, money, will be lovers of money. They will be proud and arrogant. They will live with an exaggerated estimate of one's own means or merits. They'll despise others, treating, with, treating them with extreme disrespect. They'll be abusive, disobedient to their parents. They will treat people badly or harshly, especially physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. They will not submit to their parents, but instead they will refuse to respect and obey them. They will be ungrateful, unholy. They will be filled with ingratitude or thanklessness. They'll disregard the fundamental decencies of life. They won't even know how to say thank you. This type of evil naturally flows from abuse and disobedience to parents. They'll be ungrateful. They'll be unholy. They'll be heartless, unappeasable, meaning that they violate their most intimate of relationships. They'll be callous and cruel. They'll lack family affection. And they will never be able to be calm or content. They'll be slanderous without self-control. Their slanderous tongues will bring false, offensive, and defamatory statements. They won't be able to control themselves. They'll be brutal, not loving good. They'll be violent. Their brutality will be that, like that of savage, untamed beasts. And they will hate anything that is good, pure, and true. They'll be treacherous, reckless. They'll be deceitful. Treacherous can also be referred to as a Judas adjective, meaning that is the same Greek word that was used to describe Judas Iscariot as a traitor 
when he gave up Jesus. And reckless fits in with this list of sins because those who are overflowing with the love of self will stop at nothing to get what they want. They are wild and irresponsible. They'll be swollen with conceit. They will hold an excessively favorable opinion of their own abilities and importances. They will be consumed, utterly consumed with pride. They will be lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God. They'll be controlled or influenced by selfish desires and instant gratification instead of allowing themselves to be affected by the Holy Spirit of God. They'll have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now, I think these false teachers may well be the most dangerous on this entire list. As they will have all the appearance of religion or religious authority in place, they will look good, they will sound good, but this will all be an empty appearance because they will deny the power of the gospel. They will deny all that is good and true. So like the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees, these false teachers and their followers will be, will be concerned with their external appearances. They'll be selfish phonies, forms without substance. Their outward form of Christianity and virtue will make them all the more dangerous because they'll be actually morally corrupt. Their religion will be a show. They may have the appearance of godliness, but they will be spiritually powerless. They will stubbornly refuse to believe in the truth of the gospel. By failing to embrace Christ, they will fail to embrace his power. Apart from the gospel, they will just be practicing a dead and worthless religion. So what was Paul saying to Timothy in these first five verses? You know, there certainly wasn't anything positive in there, was there? What was his point of listing these 19 sinful behaviors, behaviors that seem to go on and on and on and on? You know, Paul's making the point clear to Timothy to avoid these people, to stay clear from them. Paul was warning Timothy, and Paul is telling us today, don't be surprised when the world goes crazy. We have all seen how morality and godliness seems to have been thrown out the window. We have seen it infiltrate certain denominations through the appearance of godliness or religion. We've all seen man doing what is right in his own eyes. We have seen man turn his back on God. Don't be surprised, church, when the world goes crazy. And as if corrupt lives and total religious emptiness wasn't enough, Paul warns that there will be false teachers who would try to win converts to their wicked religion. Let's look at verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So Paul continues his warning to Timothy, saying that these that among these selfish, ungodly people is this group of false teachers. These false teachers creep or they sneak their way into homes. They don't enter honestly. They're deceptive. These homes that they worm their way into were apparently well-known because in the original Greek it says, the homes. These were known or specific houses. So it's widely thought that they were the spacious homes of the wealthy where house churches would actually meet. House churches. 
These are supposed to be safe places. Timothy, be on guard. Be careful with your people in Ephesus. For these false teachers will creep or sneak into households and capture weak women. So here, we once again note the military terminology that Paul used back in chapter 2. These false teachers are looking to capture weak women. This is war, and they're looking for prisoners of war. They're looking to snatch up those who are weak. They're looking to steal them from their safe places, from the hands of their protectors. It's important to note that Paul is not using this term, weak women, as a description for all women. You know, but rather he's talking about those who are the most vulnerable, especially those who are burdened down with sin. Those, he said, were led astray by various passions. This group of vulnerable women were so guilt-ridden, they were haunted by the sins of their past. These various passions or personal desires and urges were likely remnants from their days before that they had found Christ. And these passions were so strong that, yeah, they still struggled with them. And that they just continued to add on to their already overwhelmed consciences. They were weak. They were vulnerable. Paul warns that these false teachers will use deception to accomplish their goal. They will look like they are godly. They will speak as having one who has spiritual authority. You know, these, these vulnerable women want to be healed. They want to be freed from the guilt and the burden of their sin. So what do they do? They went to a house church where someone was teaching and they listened. And with all their fascinating and intellectual sounding talk, these false teachers captivated these women whose weakness and guilt made them for easy targets. They are searching, they are learning, but they're never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So the terrible reality was that these weak, vulnerable women were learning and learning and learning, but they were never coming to know the saving, freeing, healing power of Jesus Christ. So Paul, as he continues his exhortation to Timothy, he continues to warn him of the lives that are at stake, the weak, the vulnerable. They are constantly searching. They are searching for someone who will listen. They are searching for someone who will care for them. This brings us to our second discipline that we need to thrive. Be on guard against those who would lead us astray. Be on guard against those who would lead us astray. You know, here at Bayside Chapel, we take very seriously the protection of those whom God has called us to lead. And just one of the many ways that we do that is that not just anyone can lead or teach a group or class. There's a process you must grow through. To lead a group or class, to be the leader, you have to be a member of Bayside. You have to agree to our statement of faith. You have to believe what we believe. You know, we want to equip all of our leaders to care for the people they are leading. We want our group and class leaders to be so concerned about you and your discipleship journey. We want them to lead you to truth. Timothy, watch out for these false teachers. Timothy, protect your weak and vulnerable For more than 40 years, a lighthouse stood on a large peninsula jutting into the Tasman Sea in southern Australia. It stood at a place where it shouldn't have. It lured ignorant ships into the very rocks that they were trying to avoid. 
The cliffs around Cape St. George, just south of Jervis Bay, were notorious for shipwrecks. So it was decided that a lighthouse was needed for the safe navigation of coastal shipping. So in 1857, the colonial architect Alexander Dawson began looking for a site suitable for a lighthouse on Cape St. George. Unfortunately, Dawson was more interested in the ease of construction rather than in providing an efficient navigational aid. When the pilot's board went to verify the location Dawson chose, they found that the site was not visible from the required approaches. They also found Dawson's map suffered from, and I quote, discrepancies so grave that it is impossible to decide whether positions marked on the map really exist. The board also suspected that Dawson chose the site solely because it was situated closer to a quarry he planned to obtain stones from. He chose that at convenience. Despite the glaring deficiencies in a, and disagreement by a majority of the board, and for reasons unknown, the chairman of that board authorized the construction of the lighthouse. And for the next four decades, the ill-sighted lighthouse was responsible for some two dozen shipwrecks. Eventually, in 1899, the lighthouse was replaced by the Point Perpendicular Lighthouse in a much more suitable location on this part of the coast. Now, these false teachers are like that ill-sighted lighthouse. They were luring the weak and vulnerable women into the church at Ephesus towards danger. Instead of luring them to truth, safety, and the freedom that is found only in Christ. Don't be surprised when the world goes crazy. Be on guard against those who will lead us astray. And number three, stay hopeful knowing that truth will triumph. Stay hopeful knowing that truth will triumph. Let's look at verses eight and nine. Just as Jonas and John Brace opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Well, according to Jewish tradition, Jonas and Jambres were two of Pharaoh's magicians who went up against Moses and Aaron. Let's take a look back at Exodus 7. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. You know, I think it's important uh, to note that this account in Exodus reveals a couple of really important things to us. Things that we just can't brush past, especially in the light of our text this morning and its description of these false leaders. The text in Exodus reveals that Satan has power, supernatural power. But it also reveals to us that Satan is a great little imitator. He imitates things that God does. Each of Pharaoh's magicians threw down their staff and they became snakes. But Aaron's staff that had become a serpent, that was of God 
and it had much more power than anything the Egyptian, Egyptian magicians could influence or control. So Aaron's serpent, controlled by God, swallowed up the magician's staffs. You see, the folly of Jonas and Jambres became evident when they could not match the power of God. So Paul likens uh, these false teachers in Ephesus to these ancient magicians from Egypt. He refers to them as men who oppose the truth, describing them as men corrupted in mind. And as far as the faith is con- concerned, they are rejected or disqualified. Some translations say that they were even rejected after being tested. So Paul says that Jonas and Jambres, these false teachers, won't get very far. They will compete, but they only compete for so long because their folly or their foolishness will be plain. It will be visible for all to see. So Paul is encouraging Timothy in this, these nine verses with the fact that truth will triumph. Do you remember the story of the lighthouse we just talked about a few moments ago? Well, the story doesn't stop where we left it. You see, even after its decommissioning, the lighthouse continued to cause navigational problems, especially on moonlit nights when the golden sandstone tower glowed in the dark. So near the turn of the century, the tower was reduced to rubble to prevent any further disaster. So today, false teachers may pray big and extravagant prayers, but that's all they are. They are just big and extravagant. The lighthouse may not be lit, but it still stands there looking like a lighthouse. These false teachers may be using these religious words or religious phrases, but they're not speaking God's truth. The lighthouse may not be lit, but it's still there, drawing ships in, drawing them closer and closer to the danger that's just below the surface. So just as Paul encouraged Timothy that the error of these false teachers in Ephesus will be exposed, God is still present, preserving his truth today. Amen? Amen. While the threat to the church was and continues to be very real, the threat will never be fatal to the gospel because the foolishness will be clearly seen. The lighthouse has been reduced to rubble. We can stay hopeful knowing that truth will triumph. We can stay hopeful knowing that truth will triumph. You know, Christian, we we shouldn't be surprised or disillusioned when we see an increase in ungodliness or when we see or hear of increase of false teachers. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when we see the world that we're living in getting crazier and crazier and crazier by the minute. As it becomes more selfish and as it walks farther and farther away from our God. You know, just as Paul warned, or better yet, prepared Timothy for his ministry, Scripture is clearly preparing you and I for this very thing today. You see, we know in great detail exactly what we can expect. There will be no surprises, and we have it all right here. Do we understand Are we listening? But I'll be honest with you. Even in knowing all this, we're still going to have tough and difficult days. We're st- those, there are going to be days when we are so frustrated with what we see going on in the world and in our culture. Our hearts are going to ache as we watch the world as it continues to mock God. 
But take heart and remember that we can thrive when the world takes a dive. Church, it's in these moments when things look and feel as though they are tough and discouraging that we need to put on our hard hats. There will be days when, yeah, we'll hit our heads. There will be days when we get our fingers jammed in the pulley of life. Let's put on our hard hats. Let's put on our helmets of salvation, protecting our heart, protecting our, our thoughts and our mind. And by God's grace, he will help us to understand and to discern that which is true. During these tough and difficult times, let's not get so worked up and upset that things aren't going our way or according to our plan. Let's be alert and on guard for these false teachers, protecting the weak and the vulnerable. Because God will not be mocked. He will not be taken by surprise. And we know that truth will triumph. So let's remember the three disciplines of thought that we need to thrive. Don't be surprised when the world goes crazy. Be on guard against all those who would lead us astray. But number three, let's stay hopeful, knowing that truth will triumph. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us continually set our hearts on things above so we can overflow with Christ's love and holiness and truth. And by his Spirit's power working within us, remember that we can thrive when the world takes a dive. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for you and the truths found in your word. Thank you for giving the Apostle Paul the words and the wisdom and the ability to write this letter to Timothy. And, and God, we are so grateful for how it applies to us today during these difficult times that we live in. Thank you, Lord. God, we look to you this morning as our strength, our rock, our shield. Lord, give us wisdom and strength as we live as lights in this dark and broken world. May we be your lighthouse, properly placed, to lead people to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.